Good morning. I was just, I, I had to go back and get my mother. Crashes. I forgot to bring her yesterday. And uh, I don't need her to keep me honest, but um, the, uh, maybe she keeps me honest. Um, I was also listening to the YouTube from yesterday. I cried. I love that shit. I fucking can't believe it. How fucking good a speaker I am. It's unbelievable. It really is. I cried. I still got tears in my eyes. I'm, I'm going to cry just thinking about it. If I listen to my shit over and over again, what the fuck should you should be doing? But I want to make a couple comments then for the YouTubers. I got some, why are you so rough on us? And why are you so not nice to us? And why are you... Because that's how life is, kids. Get a fucking life. Get real. That's why I'm tough. Because it's hard. It's just bloody hard. It's easier for me to be tough because I've had a tough life. And these guys that are in the Hall of Fame and the Hall of Shame and the influencers have all had a tough life. You know, I, I made a speech to our employees in the Philippines. It, it, unfortunately, had no good. It didn't do any good. People say, why do you work so hard? They ask, they ask the question, kind of asked, because they don't want to ask anything that may, may be considered in third world countries. They don't want to ask, even in Scotland, which is a third world country, they don't want to ask something that might be a, a, the boss might consider offensive. And so, Sally and I still work 60, 70 hours a week, which is more than anybody in this fucking room except for this, Robert, I know for a fact. But I said, well, when my dad retired from being a, a policeman for 28 years in the LAPD, um, he had 685 or 695 sick and vacation days he did not take. Now pay attention to this dipshits. He did not take in his 28-year career. That's almost two years. So they gave him a check for the money. In those days, that's what he used to do. And he retired, I think, in 70 or 71. 1970, 71. Now, just think about that, kids. He didn't take almost two years of sick leave and vacation leave in his 28-year career. And, that, and, and in those days, he used to get paid overtime. So when you paid, worked over 40 hours, and he worked 100, 120 hours, you know, a week, easily. And... When I tell the kids this, because as Mark told me in Australia, the kids want to make sure that because they came in three hours early because they had busted their balls on a project, they want to have the three hours off on the, the next week or the next month. Well, they have accumulated leave in the Philippines, so they want to make sure, and if they don't take the accumulated leave by the end of March, April, right, you lose it. So we're having massive, this is an exaggeration, but we're having a bunch of people taking days off right now. And they want to connect it to Holy Week so they get a big fucking vacation. Because Holy Week, everybody goes asleep in the Philippines. Literally, asleep. Okay, it's work in South America. They just fucking go to sleep. Even if they're at work, they're, not, they're asleep. So, I thought that maybe that this talk that I had to the employees was going to give them, and we had uh, our, our in-house lawyer there, and we had our new head of HR. They didn't have any good? No. That afternoon, somebody emails me. They says, "Boss, sir, boss, 
Uh, is it all right if I take Tuesday, thir Wednesday, and Thursday, Friday's the holiday, uh, my accumulated leave, and then the following uh, uh, day after the Monday, which is uh, Holy Monday after Easter, so they got 11 days off or something. I wanted to say, fuck you! No, you can't take the fucking days, you stupid cunt! But I don't, because I'm a kinder, gentler person now. And I said, I just put okay. I don't put what I really feel in my, in my gut, like I'm telling you right now, and I'm telling YouTubers. I just, put, I just put okay. But it's really not okay with me. So that's my work ethic. My kid brother, who's an assistant fire chief for the L.A. County Fire Department, who's one of the largest fire departments in the world, maybe it is the largest part, fire department in the world, I don't think he's ever had a sick, sick day. And he's been there 31 years. In the Philippines, if you have diarrhea, it's a reason for not coming to work. If you got a headache, it's a reason. It's a legitimate reason for not coming to work. And so my work ethic, when I was getting up this morning, and I was doing my stretching, I stretch before I go to bed. And I stretch when I get up in the morning. Uh, so I stretch twice a day. I'm doing my stretching, and I'm thinking, well, I'm only 69 years old, and this, I'm, you know, is this a good thing for me to be doing? Uh, you know, and I, well, yeah, it is. And then I go watch my own videos to fire up, cry a little. But I've been doing this for over 40 fucking years. And I still have the same enthusiasm. And I just read a, some weekly reports, and I told you it was alright with your request that you, you, you made of me. Um, from January, and the kids already sound tired. They've only been doing it nine weeks. And they're already tired. And they put down in the challenges and uh, problems, oh, not getting enough sleep, or, uh, um, uh, uh, it's a good thing I don't have a bad heart. I'd get a fucking stroke. And you wonder why the people that are up there are up there. I can't, I don't remember any of those guys ever telling me, oh, I'm tired, Dan. It's, you know, I can't do it. But there's a, there's a huge differentiation. Now, this morning when I was deciding what suit to wear, and I, what kind of suit is this, Sally, again? Prince of Wales check. Prince of Wales check. You can't see the check, okay? <laughs> and I was uh, trying to decide, and I normally always, my uniform uh, and uh, was uh, a frog tie. These are frogs, okay? Because you've got to kiss a lot of fucking frogs. And you've got more contacts than Steven Spielberg, okay? And today I put my frog cufflinks on. Because I always re remember, you got to kiss a lot of frogs. And when you've been doing this for 40 plus years like I have, it's not fun to kiss frogs. Because how many frogs turn into a prince? For the women in the room, a guy on a, well, the old metaphor used to be a guy on a white horse with silver uh, armor, you know, to come and to sweep you off your feet and take you to heaven or to bliss or whatever, right? You gotta kiss a lot of frogs. <clears throat> because most of them are gonna just be frogs and not turn into prince or princesses or good deals, etc. Now, one of the things that uh, Jerry, the guy that, you know, Canadian I beat up, uh, he, he, I don't know if he doesn't mind kissing frogs, but he's used to kissing frogs. So, I mean, it's not as big an ordeal for him. Uh, and, but you've got to kiss a lot of frogs. 
Because most deals that you look at, and most deals that we're going to talk about how you get done, don't come to fruition. And as I've told this Robert, Bavarian Bob, <clears throat> the for every ten deals that you think might happen, one or two you actually pursue and maybe one happens. So that means you need a portfolio. You need a lot of a lot of things. It's like, you know, I know this isn't popular, but back in the 60s and 70s, uh, when I was single, you know, you'd, there'd be a bar full of 100 girls, you know, you'd go and, hey honey, da-da-da-da, maybe you have to talk to 20 or 30 of them before you got lucky. And then magic to my ears, your place or mine, Dan? I mean, I can still, I can still hear that ring. Your place or mine? Magic. This is pre-AIDS all that other stuff. <clears throat> a whole generation has grown up that have never had sex without a condom. <clears throat> my sons brought that to my attention a few years ago, which I didn't even think of. <clears throat> I'm not sure I would know what a condom looked like. Those are the good old days, Dad. <clears throat> <clears throat> <laughs> and uh, as my wife sits there, <laughs> those are the good old days. I hadn't really, oh, I thought they were the good old days myself, but I didn't realize how good they really were. Okay. I'm not going to ask you, uh, you know, how many, if any of you have ever seen, uh, had sex without a condom. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Because okay. um, I, I don't, actually I'm kind of curious, but I'm not going to ask. Uh, I'm not going to ask. If you want to share it with me in our private time. Now we had our first two private times last night. Um, we had um, Marcus. Um, uh, the Italian who's trying to lose his uh, gen third generation of his business that his grandfather started uh, in 1932. Uh, and we had uh, Ramona, um, who uh, is f f first generation. Your mother didn't do what you do, does she? Nobody, just you, right? Okay. <clears throat> first generation business. And we talked about it. And uh, with her, uh, uh, one of her two interpreters that are here, this Robert, uh, because her, her first language is German. Uh, although she speaks better English than she pretends to. She says she speaks uh, baby English, but she speaks pretty good English. But, um, you know, many of the people on the Hall of uh, Fame are Germanic-speaking. Not the least of which is Klaus Kleinfeld, who is the CEO and chairman of Alcoa, and was CEO, or helped him become CEO of the 20th largest company in the world, Siemens. Uh, but, I mean, we've got, you know, other people up there. We've got Heiko Foss. Uh, another Bavarian brute, um, and we have um, uh, s several people, Germanic-speaking people. Uh, we've got Schmalholz, um, and somehow I, I was asking you last night, I said, why is the Germans? And because when the Germans take instructions well, most of the time, most of the time, they take instructions well, and, uh, you know, uh, bad metaphors, you know, look at Hitler and uh, that whole, uh, you know, and Hitler's on my on, Influencer because I used to study his, how he gave speeches when, uh, you know, 35, 40 years ago when I was uh, honing in my, um, my public speaking skills. And one of the slides that's coming up that is a little known fact uh, is that Warren Buffett, arguably the greatest investor of all time, went to Dale Carnegie uh, to learn how to be a better public speaker when he was selling his first couple investment funds back in the 60s. Little known fact. Just like a little known fact that was brought to my attention um, just before the seminar started, 
uh, one of the husbands of one of the in a long time employees here that Andrew Carnegie believed in in uh, uh, you know the uh, constructive imagination, and it's in his book um, that uh, he used to practice constructive imagination about things he wanted. You know, when he wanted to grow the steel business, etc., etc. Um, so. Virtually 95% of the stuff that we cover here in the week isn't new. I've just put it in a new format and put it into a, a new template, if you will. This Robert likes templates. Uh, template, so it's easy just to plug in. But notwithstanding, it's easy to plug in, and as I said at the beginning of yesterday, it's easy intellectually to understand what quantum leap advantage is all about. It's tough as hell to put into practice. It's extremely hard to put into practice. And, um, the, um, and that's why we have the year-long mentor program. Now, getting back to the initial comment before I close out this YouTube, why am I so hard? Why do I use such graphic language? Why do I use uh, so many bad words, and, which is offensive to somebody, some, a lot of people? First of all, a lot of people are not my market. If I could take a truck driver that's used to working 18-hour shifts, a big burly truck driver, kind of looks like him, you know. A guy is, you know, knows how to fight in a bar, knows how to have sex in the front seat of his truck, and shit like that. And I could give him QLA. He's my perfect model. Doesn't have to be too educated. Just knows he's got to get to from fucking A to B. A big tough guy. That's used to making sacrifices. It's hard for him to put food on the table for his family. That is the person, when, when I talk this way to truck drivers, or bricklayers, or brickies as they call them in this country, or joiners, or carpenters, or plumbers, they don't think I'm talking anything. Nobody goes, oh, gee, look, he said fuck. But when I talk to you, purportedly, ostensibly, sophisticated, educated people, you get a hair up your ass. But if we were fighting a war, I would rather have the bricklayer in my fucking foxhole than you guys. For sure. Because they know how to make sacrifices. They make sacrifices all their lives. You know, uh, I said yesterday when, when Mark said that he slept in his office and he made his, uh, his apartment his office or however it worked, you know, I didn't think anything bad about that, but and in fact, I thought that was good, and that was a step in the right direction, a great, a leap in the right direction. But some of the people on YouTube, and they didn't, they don't even know how old you are when I said that. If they knew how old you were, and you did that. They think that something was wrong. Doesn't he have a home? Don't his parents love him? I can go through all this litany of bullshit, <laughs> stuff you don't give a shit about. I know, but I could go through this whole litany of bullshit that how people think. Because we have gone way past, like in the demolition man, way past the political correct line. And pretty soon, I won't live long enough, and we won't be swapping bodily fluids anymore. Now, these guys didn't know from political correctness, my influence is up there. Now, not, not just because Vlad the Impaler, the, uh, the, the gypsy, you know, uh, uh, or uh, Genghis Khan, or a few other guys up there that have influenced me. Um, um, but Winston Churchill didn't know political correctness either. Of course, 
what, what, what did they get to do to poor old Churchill when he helped win the war, Second World War? They threw him out on his fat ass. I know what that feels like, being thrown out on my fat ass. wasn't so fat in those days, but I know what it's like. And one of the things that I tell you guys, you do all the stuff I tell you, and you go public, the chances are at least 75% are going to throw you out on your ass. But the, the, the good news is they're going to throw you out on your ass with their pockets and truckloads full of cash. Because it's extremely difficult, as Klaus Kleinfeld would tell you, to be the CEO of a public company in today's world. Extremely. Shareholders this, shareholders that. Now, I got out of being a CEO of a public company right at the, at the, at the cusp, right at the right time, the early 90s, when they booted me out, when they exited me. It would be very difficult for the way I am today to be the CEO of a public company. Although Fred Smith, God love him, who's the founder, my contemporary in age, of Federal Express is still, he's made the transition. He's made the transition. And there's a few guys that have made the transition. But one of the um, uh, most uh, admired CEOs in, um, in America was on uh, Bloomberg, and, they were, and, and they're still talking about him. He lost his temper at a press conference earlier this year, and he told all of the journalists basically they had shit for brains. Not he basically told them they had shit for brains. And you pissed me off, and he's going like this to the journalists. Well, that was in January. This is now April, and they're still bringing that YouTube thing up. Two years from now, they're still going to be bringing that YouTube up. Now, he wishes the hell he hadn't told the journalists, even though I agree with him, the journalists have shit for brains. But he's going to pay for that forever. So I got out of the public life just in time before the Internet caught up with me. Just in time before, before YouTube and Twitter and all these other things caught up with me. And so, for you guys, when I tell you, just worry about the cash that you're going to put in your pocket. Don't worry about your baby the, and the fame attributed to doing something really great. Don't, don't, don't have that concern. Because if you have that concern, it's going to break your heart when they throw you out or when the investment banker tells you, Marcus, you can't, you can't be here. We know your grandfather founded the company, but you can't be here. It's going to break your little heart. So you, you have to, you know, I tell you conventional wisdom is almost always wrong. This is one time when conventional wisdom is right. Conventional wisdom is that you have to be a, you know, a uh, bon vivant, debonair, raconteur, multilingual, suave, you know, uh, person to, to head up a public company now, pretty much. Not in all cases. If you started a long time ago, you didn't, but uh, now. Um, we have homework. Uh, what's the first homework from last night? And we're going to go through the success test, but what's the first homework that I gave you for last night? Okay, we'll start with that. Matt, in all six years that you've had of defining moments, what's your defining moment of your life? Well, the most defining moment of my life was definitely coming the first seminar here. 
because before that, I kind of understood intellectually that I can be anything I want, but when I came here, I understood that emotionally. So uh, that, that was different. And again, you say you're a high school senior. Correct. You paid to get here the first time. You paid here to get there the second time. You're, you're an internet scum. You're an internet. You make money on the internet, right? I call all internet people internet scum. I don't mean it that way, but most people on the internet are scum because they're, they, 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 um, they're judicious with the truth, as Winston Churchill used to say. Does everybody smart enough to understand what judicious with the truth means? That means they exaggerate and lie about their products. And the euphemism now is, it's alright to exaggerate and lie about marketing products on the internet because they call it marketing. I've had Romanian gypsies sit right across that back row and tell me that. Okay, so now you know emotionally you can be whatever you want to be. Yes. Okay, defining moment. Tana, defining moment for you. Was the first time I was on TV as an actress. As an actress. How long ago was that? Were your baby actress three months old or something? Yeah, I was baby. <laughs> that was in 2003. Okay, how was it? What, 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 what how did it feel? It, it was, it, I felt very proud of myself because it was something I did on my own and... You should. Yeah. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Although I've said, acting is the most overpaid profession in the world. Sports figures a second, but for people to get 10, 15, 20, 25 million dollars for a picture just for hitting their mark and saying a few lines, I mean... It's, it's unbelievable. I wish, if I, if I get to come back as something, I want to come back as a pharaoh, beaten slave, building my pyramid. Second, an actor. You know, first, a pharaoh beating my slaves to build my pyramid. That's what I want to come back as. Okay, uh, what's your defining moment, Marcus? Uh, I read that the most defining moment for me was getting born as the oldest son of the oldest son of the oldest son. So Holy shit. <laughs> I have been born in a family with much history and I was the oldest son and so it was programmed that I will take over the business and family business and this was probably the most defining or most blocking uh, event in my life. And the uh, he comes from an old, uh, formerly Austria, now Italy since the First World War family. And northern part of Italy, and his uh, and the family business, the third generation, and um, he's here to, 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 to prove the third generation doesn't lose all the money. Basically, that's what he's here for. And uh, but uh, we've had a good talk, and 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 I gave him some ideas. Um, he had some ideas of his own, but I gave him some ideas that uh, should work. Robert, do you want to give your defining moment? Uh, yeah, the funny thing is, you asked this several times when we were here, and and the view on this changes so. My view changed on that. And, He's uh, a German. <laughs> no, that's the truth. Well, um, if you're, uh, yeah, you're a German, it's the truth as well. <laughs> no, my view changed, that's the truth also. So, one point is uh, seeing dead bodies, especially. I've been to a, to a medical university, not as a student, but they took me inside to see all the dead bodies. It was very defining. Then to see the dead bodies of my mother and my father recently. And uh, then experiencing what I can do in business already before I came here the first time. So, as you said, understanding intellectually and for my part, uh, kind of also emotionally because I did it myself, what I can do. And then coming here and being reaffirmed and affirmed and affirmed and 
expanding this emotion that you really know and feel you can do everything you want. Now, as, as some of the seminar attendees know, uh, one of the defining moments for me is I saw my first dead body when I was six years old. Uh, 1951, my father was the head of the uh, CID, Criminal Investigation Division of the United States Army of Europe during the Korean War, and Verdun, France, and my mother and I went to um, live with them uh, during the war, Korean War, and uh, I went out with them on an afternoon, uh, and, uh, and uh, I was, he told me to stay in the car, he was at a crime scene, and by the way, CISA, whatever that program is, you know, the, that's all bullshit. That's not how you investigate crime scenes, kids. Just, just for you to believe that that's how the fucking deal works. Trust me, that's not how it works. But anyway, getting back to mine. So I saw my first dead body frozen to a log, and it was a defining moment. Right, so I can still close my eyes and see the guy frozen to that log. Another defining moment is when my dad came to pick us up at La Havre, uh, when we um, sailed across uh, the Atlantic to meet him in, South, in France, um, and I went to put my arms around him and give him a hug. I was a little guy like this, and my arms came away all bloody. And because I didn't realize that my dad had just had surgery a few hours before, where they had uh, they took out a tumor of his back, but he drove six hours to Le Havre with anesthetic uh, and uh, and to pick us up because they hadn't seen us in a long time. So my dad was a tough guy, really tough. So, and defining moments, another defining moment is when I got commissioned and was made an officer and a gentleman by the United States Congress. So we all have defining moments. And, but the important thing for you in the seminar, and just as Robert Bavarian Bob said, his defining moments can continue to change because he's continuing to grow. Most people on this YouTube aren't growing anymore. And if my bad language uh, is a front to you, please stop watching. Unface me, unlink me, untweet me, whatever those right words. Don't follow me anymore. Okay? But if you, really, if you want to continue to grow and have expansion of your defining moments, then uh, continue. Okay, thanks a lot.